Hi, and welcome to this episode of Tales from the Trail. Justin Chesham of Christopher Newport University Men's Soccer and I welcome psychologist Mike Bresky. Mike just finished up his internship with the University of Missouri Counseling Center Student Health and Wellbeing on his way to earning his PhD in psychology. He is currently taking on a role with the Stanford University Athletic Department to work with their sports psychologists. We discuss the intersection of mental health and well-being in athletics. Mike brings the perspective of being a college soccer player before he began to study how to work with student athletes. I hope you find the discussion helpful and interesting. Please share the podcast, subscribe, and send me your questions and feedback through matchplayrecruit.com. Yeah, so so my favorite soft story, this is, I don't know if this is like really reflective of Shaw, but it was definitely reflective of Shaw in the moment. Um, we we were playing the, do you all still do the spring game against William Mary Cheese? Yeah, yeah. So we, just, we, we were playing the spring game and uh, we had been kind of like toying around, like I had typically been playing in the middle of the park and we had kind of been toying around as we had some people leave that year. Actually, I was leaving that year too, but wanted to participate in the spring um, before, before taking off. And we've been toying around the idea with like putting me in a slightly more offensive role, like kind of a, a false nine almost, or, or like really pushing me up the field a little bit further. Cause we were uh, definitely thin in that part of the part of the field. And it's like late in the game, we were either tied or maybe down one and there's maybe like 20 minutes left and I'm, I'm getting subbed back in and you know, they're, they're putting me back in the middle of the field and I go up to Shaw and I'm like, Hey, like, what are you looking for? Do you want me like pushing way up? Are we, are we like going, is this the time where, you know, we're trying to get numbers forward and like tie the game or, or get a goal? Um, or do you want me like kind of hanging out for a little bit and pushed up later? Like, what are you looking for coach? And he's like, I want you to go in there and win the damn game. Yeah. And I'm like, like, okay. Like, that's a good plan. I'm on board for that. But I'm like, that doesn't mean that. And she's, she's like kind of walks over and, you know, Shaw's doing it and his, he's just like really into the game. He's like, I want you to get in there and win the damn game. And <laughs> almost upset at the question. And she's kind of, kind of like tiptoes over and is like, he's like, probably sit a little bit and then, you know, start pushing in like the next five minutes, like give me an actual answer to the question. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one, Chief. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that specific one is in a pile of uh, probably a thousand that are very similar stories where uh, I had to translate what Steve was saying to the guy, you know, just so, Hey, this is what he was saying. And, you know, he does his walking off thing with his, his arms buckled back and, fired up and starts getting asked for somebody else so uh yeah that was that was the main job for 13 years for me was translating steve talk yeah shaw translator and and you know to your credit i think he got pretty good at it yeah yeah i, I understood the language really well by the end there but yeah. it was pretty good i knew i knew it was coming too by the end who's, who's translating your language now that's it uh <laughs> i think sean and i do a good job of kind of good cop bad cop you know, he's so laid back. I mean, and he's very, very bright. Like, he knows the game significantly more than I do. I mean, I, I lean on him for a lot of tactical situations. And, uh, you know, so I'll kind of like, hey, what are you thinking here? And he'll he'll kind of talk to me. And then I get up and I get after, you know, kind of what he's saying. So 
not that I don't have a mind of my own or don't get me wrong there, but I, I lean on him a ton. And so I think it's a different type of relationship, more of a good cop, bad cop type type deal. So initially we were talking about uh, the retired head coach at Christopher Newport University. Um, and now we're speaking to the current uh, head men's soccer coach at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Justin Chesham. Cheese, welcome back. Obviously, you know, you've been on a ton of these. Um, and then I'm going to let you introduce Mike because uh, he used to play for you. And now he uh, is on to doing exciting things with his life and his career. So um, you know, maybe Absolutely. you guys can kind of catch up a little bit on here and, and give him a good intro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Bresky, uh, a fantastic alum, played uh, during some of the best years we ever had at CNU, transferred over from Virginia Tech. He's actually uh, a relative of our athletic director. So, uh, you know, he's got plenty of ties. Uh, wait, I see, is, that, is that right? Uh, basically, uh, he was, Kyle was the best man at my older brother's wedding. That's what it is. He, yep. I think he's, I think he refers to you as like his nephew or he calls himself uncle Kyle or something, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, very, very invested in the school. And, uh, you know, Mike's been a great alum and we've connected a few times. We were groomsmen and uh fellow alum Noah Jefferson's wedding. So we spent some time together in DC, had some fun and, uh, you know, Mike's getting married this, uh, coming up soon, real soon. Right. Okay. Yeah, a little too soon. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Mike kind of take over and talk about his background and what he's doing now. Yeah, so, you know, my – and I have to give, like, some academic credit to uh, Christopher Newport, too. It's, it's, you know, it's a great school. My academic experience there was really positive as well. Um, it, was, it was at CNU while I was playing that I figured out that I really wanted to stay around the game uh, post-college, stay around sports. Uh, so I went into uh, psychology. I, I Once I graduated, finished my undergrad degree, I went to the University of Kansas uh, to study sport and exercise psychology under Dr. Mary Fry. Um, then uh, in order to like be able to work with athletes directly, uh, needed to get my license as a psychologist. So that is what I'm working towards right now. I'm a currently an intern at the counseling center at the University of Missouri, where I'm, I'm doing my PhD and uh, will be heading out to work with the Sanford sports medicine team next year uh, for a postdoc, which I'm very excited about. So, so that's what's uh, coming up for me. Cool. So you're relocating to Palo Alto? I am. I am. Worst places in the world to be. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I still have mixed feelings about the uh, the so-called weather tax. Uh, we'll we'll see what the cost right. of living looks like, but excited to get out there in the sunshine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us about your recruiting story. You know, you start you where'd you grow up, and and how did you end up at Tech, and and progress from there? Yeah, um, you know, my my recruiting story is probably a little bit of a unique one. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a Blacksburg local, so uh, I really was. You know, I was attending Virginia Tech soccer camps, you know, as a youngster and and all throughout middle school and high school. Um, we ended up having a, a pretty good class of recruits coming up through our high school. Uh, probably, I think 
I think probably like six to eight within within two years. The class, my class and the class above me, we probably had six to eight guys that were getting Division One looks, and uh, the tech coaches I think had an interest. It was you know kind of in their own backyard, so they took over coaching our club team a little bit later in high school, and uh, we got recruited directly off of that experience. So it's it's a little bit of a unique one. Um, just that we were kind of in their backyard, so to speak. Uh, I, I did think that, like, seeing the difference that other kids that I ended up playing with had in their recruiting experience really kind of taught me a lot about what was unique about mine, what sounds like a more typical experience. So I, I felt it was interesting. And then you ended up at CNU. And then I ended up at CNU, yeah. So we had a... Uh, we had some coaching turnover at Virginia Tech at the time, and um, you know, guys guys were kind of like moving in and out of the program. Uh, I felt like it was time for me to, you know, actually for a moment there, I felt like it was time for me to hang it up. Um, that freshman year was was tough. You know, the team wasn't playing well. Uh, you know, we got along okay, but the the performances on the field weren't there. We had a lot of roster issues. Um, so, you know, I was feeling pretty uh, despondent at the end of that freshman year and felt like maybe it was time to hang it up. And, you know, I know one of the things we wanted to talk about today was kind of the intersection of mental health and, and college sports. And uh, I would say that 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 was kind of a, a first experience that I had with, like, how mental health can impact you as an athlete. Um, you know, I had had such a underwhelming experience as a freshman that uh, I, I was like, I don't want to play anymore. You know, I'm done with soccer. I'll, I'll sign up and play on like the club team or play intramurals and have a good time. Um, and then that, that turned out not really being the right move for me either. You know, I, I, I was kind of just staying at tech as a student and hanging out uh, for about a year, year and a half before I was like, you know, I really need, the structure, you know, it got to a point where I was like, I don't think I'm going to graduate if I don't have the structure that comes with sports and the support. Uh, so it was time for me to, you know, look into transferring. And um, as Steve mentioned, you know, we ha I had this connection. Uh, the current head AD there is uh, a close friend of the family. And, you know, he was like doing his plug. Like I, I wasn't familiar with CNU uh, throughout the high school recruiting process because, because mine was so unique, you know, it was like pretty early on that I was like, okay, tech sounds like a good fit. Um, he was like, come check us out. So, you know, I, I came up for a weekend and I think the guys were doing their like spring indoor season uh, at the moment uh, up in Williamsburg. So I, I went and played a game with them and met some of the guys and felt like it was a great place and going to be a good fit. So transferred there. Cool. Yeah. Um, Cheese, you got anything? No, no, it was uh, it was good having him. It was a good addition. I mean, like I said, the team was, was pretty loaded at that time, and uh, he uh, was able to factor in pretty quickly right in the middle of the field. I was trying to think, who who was in the middle with you uh, uh, at the time? It was me and Farmer a lot. Farmer. Um, yeah, Farmer for the most part. Zim would get in there. Uh, Sean... Sean was in more of like a stopper role, but he yeah, was, was a stopper then. 
but he i mean he was huge for us in the middle of the park he he really held us down uh defensively it was it was awesome playing with those guys absolutely yeah some of those teams you were on are i mean some big runs number one ranked in the country time and uh elite eights yeah you were on some pretty good teams then that was, that was a fun run fun run um so you talked a little bit about kind of the intersection of sports and mental health and you know I, everybody has their story. Um, you know, what kind of drove you to where you are and, you know, was there an inspiration for that, so to speak, you know, uh, uh, an occurrence or that kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you all might not, might not be aware of this, but in the, uh, in the psychology field, it's like often pretty understood that, you know, people get into, you know, specialties or, or whatever their interest is in psychology, they get into it because they have some kind of personal experience with it. So whether they had like a family member going through some mental health issues or have experienced some themselves, um, that is often what really draws people into the field. And, and sports was that for me. You know, I, I had this, uh, like I said, this, this not so great experience my freshman year. And then you know, even getting back into things at CNU, I mean, she's, she's, I think is being a little generous there, like factoring in immediately, but, uh, it was an adjustment, you know, being on a team again after a year or two, not playing, being on a team again, getting fit again, you know, getting my, my speed of play back up. It was an adjustment. And, you know, for so many of these athletes, and I know we, we kind of were, uh, talking about this yesterday, she's for so many of, these collegiate athletes or, or these high level high school athletes, athletics is such a big part of their identity. You know, if, if sport isn't going well, they feel like their life isn't going well. You know, it doesn't matter if their grades are good. doesn't matter if their relationships are good. Um, if their family is, you know, supportive and they feel connected, if they're not playing well, it, it has a huge impact on their well-being because they are so identified with that athlete role. And I think that was true for me. And, you know, anytime I didn't feel like I was performing my best on the field, it would really take a toll on my functioning everywhere else. So I think kind of my process of like growing into that and, and learning more about myself um, was what led me then to, you know, want to help out athletes that, that had a similar experience to me. Yeah. That's super common now. Uh, are you noticing with that specifically, especially the, the big identity to athletics? Is it looking at male versus female? Are you seeing it more with men? Is that like, it's my experience. I've seen guys like they just, they have to be doing well. They have to be winning. They have to be the guy, the successful one. And um, I'm sure that there are some stories on, on the female side, but it seems like most men are really drawn to that. Is that, is that something you're experiencing? Yeah, I I think I think that's on the right track. You know, I don't I don't have um, specific numbers at, at the moment. Well, actually, I do. I I was looking into this because you know the NCAA will do uh, some of these like well-being surveys every once in a while, and they'll they'll hit all three divisions. They usually get a pretty good response rate. But um, I think it's reflected in those numbers that like yeah, that that on-field performance tends to have a bigger impact on the mental health of, of our male athletes, mm-hmm. um, you know, may, maybe not by a ton, but it's a little bit bigger for them than the women. And I think that has a lot to do with 
just how we're socializing men, you know, uh, being competitive and being a winner uh, can get can get rolled into that identity as a man, mm-hmm. um, you know, can get so tightly interwoven with our identity as a man that that we might feel some extra pressure to, you know, be performing well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think like theoretically, absolutely. I would imagine this is a, a big issue for men. And, you know, even beyond that, uh, talking more about like that specific intersection of mental health and, and athletics, I mean, the stigma is still so high. I mean, we see that here. Uh, I've seen that at every school that I've been at that, you know, reaching out for help as an athlete is still so stigmatized by, you know, parents, often coaches, um, and other members of the staff, you know, I don't want to generalize. Absolutely. There are good people out there that want to help their athletes, but uh, we still have some way to go on, on reducing that stigma. Well, and I asked that question specifically to tie it into the recruiting part. Um, I got a lot of, uh, female coach counterparts that I I talk to all the time and we compare the men's and women's recruiting process. And, uh, uh, I'll talk to them about who I'm recruiting against and, you know, kind of how many kids are involved. And, uh, there, it seems to be a little bit of a disconnect where a a girl will say, yeah, I'd like, I love these couple of schools. If it doesn't work out, I'm just going to still go to one of those schools. Or on the men's side, it seems like, no, I'm playing soccer. I'm playing whatever sport because I, I have to play. I'm going to play. And so I'll go to a completely different school that wasn't even on my radar in the first part just so I can be on a roster and go play. It seems to be – I've encountered that. It seems to be a lot more. I used to coach on the girls' side a lot. And um, while there were plenty of girls that were like, no, I'm, I'm playing. They're good players. They wanted to play, and I, I respect that. I thought that was awesome. But it seemed to be more more women specifically were like, no, it's I'm going to that school. If I if I'm not on the team, I'm still going to go to that school. And I just don't hear that as often on the men's side. If they're good enough to play, they're going. They're going to go play somewhere. And so I, I was curious if if you're experiencing that at all. If there's any difference, you know, between the two genders, just talking about that. I mean, I, I'm just curious with that. Yeah, yeah. So same same survey. I mean, I guess a, a little bit of credit to the NCAA here that they are you know kind of covering all this stuff when they reach out to athletes, but. You know, with with like NIL and the transfer portal becoming more prominent, mm-hmm. they start to look into uh, factors that, for example, contribute to people um, transferring. And that is a gender difference that we see. Uh, men will list playing time as a, a more significant factor in pursuing the transfer portal than women. So I, I think that that kind of supports what you're saying there, Tease and. You know, again, I, I think it's I think it's easy for us to to do the the gender binary, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, because obviously there are differences that we see. But I think what is important for us to talk about as people in college athletics is that it has a lot to do with how we're socializing men and women differently. You know, women, I think, are a little bit more academically motivated tend to be, um, they tend to be like a little bit more into uh, some of the relationships that they create through athletics. Like those are important parts of the experience of college athletics for them. And, you know, men, I, I think often feel pretty limited. Like, you know, if I'm not playing, if I'm not succeeding, if I'm not winning, mm-hmm. uh, then 
then who am I? You know, I think they really start to struggle with that identity piece. Yeah, I just uh, did a quick glance at the transfer portal, and right now there's 3,000 soccer men, and I looked at the women, and there's only 2,200. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's more women's teams than men's teams. So even percentage-wise, it's more men are in the portal. And I'm thinking about when young men are sitting in my office, even if they're sitting right next to mom and dad or you know sibling or whatever, when you go to talk to them, they almost don't want to talk about anything else other than soccer. When am I going to play? What's my position? What's your style? I mean, I have to almost like pry out of them. Hey, what do you want to study? What's your grades? You know, let's talk about uh, housing on campus. Let's talk about food. You're going to eat every day. You know, let's talk about all these things. And I, I've even had kids go like, oh, yeah, what, what are what are the dorms like? And I, just, I think the women are so much smarter where they're like, I'm going to go to a school with the best dorms, the best food, and I love the location. I think that they're putting more emphasis on the other things that are involved and not just like how quickly can I score some goals for you? You know, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic when you talk to coaches about what their recruiting meetings are like with players. Yeah, and I think, and I think that can be um, – you know, I don't want to say I, – I certainly don't want to say that that can be like a red flag necessarily. Right. Um, something I think to pay attention to you know if you're a parent with a child that's getting recruited and going on those meetings or if you're a coach you know trying to gauge different players that you're meeting during the recruiting process um, you know the more the more like tunnel vision that those players have on athletics you know I don't care what the dorms look like I don't care what um, mm -hmm. academics are like I don't care about you know this other stuff I just want to get on the field and play and do well the, the more focused on that they are, the more dependent their mental health is going to be on their athletic performance. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that's a dynamic. That's what we talk about, um, you know, in, in my world that we use the term uh, identity foreclosure to talk about this. So, you know, if the athletic, if the athletic identity is the most significant, the most important identity for a player, you know, over and above different ones that they might have, like, you know, who am I as a friend? Who am I as a son or a sibling? Who am I as a romantic partner? Who am I as a student? You know, if these, if those are getting minimized and who am I as an athlete is like over and above everything else, then, you know, you get a couple bad breaks, you know, you don't have the season you're wanting and it can really, really affect your mental health. So, you know, it's something I think is worth noting during the recruiting process. 100%. Yeah. So um, during the recruiting process, what are, as coaches, um, geez, you know, what, what are some of the questions that can be asked? What are some of the, you know, the one that you just brought up example of the behavior um, is obvious, but, you know, maybe it's not as evident, you know, when you're sitting across from each other, um, you know, what are some questions that could be asked to, to ascertain whether this person, uh, this recruit is just all in on sport and doesn't care about anything else, you know, kind of, kind of behavior. Yeah. I, I think a lot of that's going to come from, I mean, just basic, just basic conversation. You're going to see kind of where they're going with stuff. I mean, I, I will bring up a lot of things that have nothing to do with the soccer field. I try to spend, if I got a kid in here that I love and he's with his family and I'm, I'm actively really getting after this kid those meetings can sometimes take two or three hours. That's including the tour and walking around and all that fun stuff. But the first minimum 30 to 45 minutes of it 
I don't even talk about the soccer field. I try not to at the best of my ability. And you'll see kids start to, pray, you know, uh, whatever, you know, I'll study biology. And then they're like, anyways, the field, you know, they want to talk about that stuff. And I try to pull them out of that as quickly as I can, uh, you know, because I want to know the fit. I mean, the, the biggest question that I always ask kids, you know, I asked your son, I've asked all the kids that I've ever talked to from the club that I, I try to help these kids locally. I always ask them, if you never play one second of soccer, are you going to be happy at that place? And a lot of them go like, oh, are you, are you talking about like if I you know tear my leg and I'm never going to be able to play soccer again? I say, yeah, that's that's one example. Or, or just what if I never play you? And, you know, they always kind of like, what, what do you mean you're never going to play me? It's like every school in the country has a bottom of their roster of these kids that aren't playing. And either they're going to get cut or they have to really fight their way into playing time. And, and you know, it's almost like a never even – occur to them that they could go somewhere and not be the man it's or you know or the top player and so it's it's interesting and the the biggest thing that we do and i love that we do this because our, our retention rate and our our graduation rate is fantastic and it's because of all those the pre you know let's talk before we talk soccer let's make sure you're gonna love this place you know and you know i'll, I'll bring up things that are a factor so i'll talk about classroom size and there are kids that have been like oh wait 19 I'm like, yeah, man, you're going to have homework. You're going to have, uh, they're going to check attendance. They're going to, you're going to have to know your teacher and interact in the classroom. And you know, if that's not in your wheelhouse, then you need to go to a much bigger school and, you know, learn what their process is like. You know, it's just, this is what's going to be. They're going to know your name. And, uh, you know, most of the kids are probably in the same boat that I was like, we needed that extra attention. I wasn't a fantastic student. So, but they didn't, most of these kids don't even know that yet. And so once you start talking about these things, they really will start to like, you know, they're bright kids, especially the kids who are recruiting are all, you know, close to four O's or above four O's now. So they're pretty bright kids. And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I do need to consider these other things. And you start talking about how much it's going to cost. And, oh, now I got to have that tough conversation with my mom and dad about how am I going to pay for this? You know, so uh, you can usually pry it out of them just by talking about all the other factors involved at the school outside of the soccer field. And mm-hmm. Most of the kids, you know, to their credit are like, Oh yeah, they start to interact. They start to ask questions. They start to follow up on things to get the, they get the wheels moving and, and then they, they catch up. But as soon as we get to soccer, they're like dialed in again. They want to know, they want to know what their gear looks like. They want to know oh, what are our cleats, you know, like they, they get excited about that. So. Yeah. Um, let's talk about more like uh, just for a sec. Uh, more psychology as it applies to sports, like um, maybe just provide like a quick overview of, of what that actually is you know, for, for people who aren't really that familiar with it. And then we can kind of get into it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sports psychology, um, I, I first and foremost, the thing to know about it is that it is, growing and changing really rapidly right now um you know there are a lot of different different professional organizations that have a stake in what sports psychology means what that what that job really is um and you know one of the big kind of uh dividing lines right now in the field is you know who are the people that are focusing on mental health and who are the people that are focusing on performance and working on performance enhancement? Um, you know, the, the qualifications for those don't always look the same. 
Um, but sometimes you can be in a in a situation like a lot of schools now are trying to employ people with with both skill sets, you know, that have some experience uh, with performance enhancement, but also can handle the mental health side of things. Um, so that that really is, I think, going to continue to be the movement. You know, the NCAA is invested in student athlete mental health. It is becoming uh, a very hot button issue. You know, the more that we get the uh, Kevin Loves and Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka is talking about mental health. Uh, the more the college athletes hear about that and start to care about it. And, you know, the NCAA has to serve that demand. So they've recently instituted uh, a requirement that student athletes, uh, it's, it's in their constitution actually now for the first time, uh, that students have access to mental health resources as, as part of participating on their team whether that's in the athletic department or just at the, the university counseling center. So, you know, they really care about the mental health. And of course, you know, each individual athletic department is going to care about performance. You know, at the end of the day, it is important for anybody thinking about playing college sports to know that athletic departments, especially at the division one level, the power five level are in the business of performing on the field. And so performance enhancement, you know, is, is an increasing priority for them. So you run into people that have both skill sets. Um, and I, I think the interesting, I don't know, maybe debate is the best word. Debate that happens in the field right now is like, what's going to have the biggest impact on student athlete mental health, like student athlete outcomes? Is it giving them those performance enhancement services, helping them get better at their sport? right? Doing mental skills training, increasing resilience, that sort of thing. Or is it just, you know, taking care of that basic mental health, you know, dealing with uh, ang the anxiety and depression that often come with just going to college for anybody that's college age and, and dealing with that transition. So, mm -hmm. you know, the field, I think, is really trying to address all those needs. Um, but where any one person that, you know, identifies as a sports psychologist is focused might vary a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover between mental health and, and performance, right? I mean, if you're not, if one side of the house isn't in order, then you're not going to perform well, right? So um, it it's probably makes sense. I'm not going to make an assessment of it. Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Cheese, you got, uh, you, I see you leaning forward. You got, uh, you got some... Uh, no, I'm I'm taking notes. You know how these things go. It's uh, you know, Mike's saying something exciting. I'm like, oh yeah. Then I immediately go on a tangent. I got a, right. I got a terrible memory now because of my three and five year old. So I just immediately just write stuff down so I don't lose track. Yeah. Um, I do want to. I want to ask a question. So I'm a military brat. I grew up like, rub dirt on it. You're all right. Don't cry. You know that tough, tough love type environment. I grew up that way, and uh, you know, I, I was, this is anecdotal, but I think I. I think I got through it just fine, you know? So what do you say to like the old school guys, the guys that are like, what is going on here? What's wrong with these kids? You know, you, I've heard it. I've heard these old school guys say that. And, uh, and they haven't probably been in the office with the kid that just walked in the door crying for something that's like, Oh, okay. We've got, we need to deal with this. It has nothing to do with the soccer field. What, what do you say to them? What do you say to those guys? Like, why is it, you know, whether it's becoming so, so much more important or what's the biggest role that you have found that, you know, mental health professionals like yourself are, man, this is what we're doing and this is what we're seeing. 
And this is why we are so important. I, I know you kind of alluded to a little bit, but, you know, speaking on behalf of like telling an old school guy, like this is what I am doing and this is why, you know, we need to be in the office with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it that's a big part of really the job for folks that are working in the college setting is, you know, there is a certain aspect of like, if you're coming into an athletic department, how can you explain what you are offering to coaches, to administrators, to players, um, what somebody is really looking for, what somebody's going to respond to, you know, is really going to vary. Sometimes you do get those coaches that are a little bit more, you know, old school and they're saying like, how are you going to help my kids perform better? Right. They tend to be a little bit more performance oriented. Um, how are you going to get my kids to perform better? How are we going to, you know, mental toughness is the buzzword, right? How are we going to toughen these kids up? And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, but we need to be really, really careful about how we are defining mental toughness and what we expect that to look like in a college age kid. Um, you know, mental health, uh, issues among that age group are just consistently on the rise. You know, we see that, um, we've seen that increasing, especially as like social media use increases. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about like, oh, the kids today, they're soft, right? You hear that all the time from those like more old school coaches. Um, right. and, you know, I, I, I think it's important to remember that you know, our experience, even mine, you know, even as recent, I graduated high school in 2008. And even my experience wasn't like inundated with the internet and social media and trying to present yourself like you are having the best time in the world all the time to your friends. It's a level of pressure that, that, you know, even, even I graduating in 2008 can't relate to, you know, I didn't have that experience in high school. So I think that's important to keep in mind that, you know, these kids are feeling, whether it's imagined or not, you know, like we're from a different generation. It's, it's easy for me to say to these, like, hey, don't you think it's dumb that people worry so much how they look on Facebook or Instagram? Like, yeah, we can all agree. But, you know, we didn't grow up with it like the kids nowadays do. And so whether you feel like that pressure is imagined or not, what they're feeling is real. They're feeling that pressure. So, you know, whether they're not performing in school or, they're not, uh, you know, presenting the person that they want to present to their friends. Like all of these things are having an increased impact on mental health. So, you know, I think I think that's a big part of it. Social media and internet use. Um, another part that I think is easy to get lost now that we're kind of coming out of it is the COVID pandemic. You know, the the isolation that a lot of kids that are going to be entering the college ranks over the next couple of years. The isolation they experience at really, really critical points in their development are, you know, we're seeing one and a half to two times higher, uh, like mental health symptomology, um, in college age students and athletes specifically than we did pre pandemic. Wow. So that's, that's definitely a big factor that I think is important to keep in mind. You know, and, and the ripple effect is, is going to be long lasting, right? We're going to be seeing this in many generations of recruit, like many recruiting classes that are going to be coming for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I've noticed that uh, every every year it's there's more of it in some capacity 
And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up, well, right, maybe I did the, the tough love aspect of things. And I was thinking of, a, a, you know, I'm not a huge UK basketball fan or anything or John Calipari, but he said something that I'm like, man, that's really true. I forget, that was four or five years ago now where he talked about making kids uncomfortable, like that's his primary job. And, uh, you know, you've got to make practice as difficult as he can. I got to, these guys have to experience failure. And that word is so, so interesting nowadays because, I mean, I don't think kids are experiencing as much, you know, built-in failure as we did growing up. I mean, kids aren't playing outside as much, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I know that when most kids come in and they start to experience this, they are having a much, much more difficult time. I mean, you said yourself, when you checked into CNU, even coming from Virginia Tech, a D1 program, it was hard. You know, you had to play catch up. You had to get fit. You had to like, oh, I can't just come in here and be the best player. And there are kids that can't, they they don't understand. They, they're not reacting to that well. They're not uh, used to failure and picking themselves up and dealing with adversity. And, um, you know, I, I'm not really sure why, you know, I mean, it's, I, I think there's great parents out there, you know, there's great clubs, you know, jumping in the soccer side of things where it should be there kind of organically, you know, but, uh, it seems like once they're here, they're having a little bit more trouble dealing with the adversity and dealing with failure than they than we used to deal with as coaches. I mean, are you seeing that being a major issue? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I think there's there's a couple things that I think about when I think about like kids and how they respond to failure or like developing that resilience to failure. And you know, I'm certainly not here to uh, criticize. Calipari or, or the career that he had, he's had, you know, the, the results speak for themselves, but um, I, I think making kids uncomfortable, putting them in tough situations, that that is important for developing mental skills. That's important for developing life skills. You know, a, a failure is, or, or, or mistakes are uh, one of the best, if not the best kind of learning tool that we have as human beings. Um, I think the part that gets missed often is are we giving kids the resources to deal with that failure or are we just kind of leaving them on their own to figure out their own way of dealing with it? That's fair. Because, you know, when you, when you leave people to their own devices to deal with something that they're really uncomfortable with and they haven't been taught those coping skills, they're going to figure out something that, you know, might hurt them more than it helps. You know, we're, we're really not great as a species. I, I genuinely believe this. We're really not great as a species at just like naturally figuring out what is going to be best for us in the long term. So you see kids starting to turn to short-term coping mechanisms. You know, they're not playing well in the field. Well, I'll just, you know, I'll go get drunk this weekend or, you know, whatever. I'm just going to like zone out and practice. I'm not getting my playing time. I'm, I'm not playing well. Uh, so I'm going to you know, just try and have fun with it. Just, you know, fart around in practice. You know, they're going to they're gonna figure out a way to soothe themselves that might not be good for their goals long-term. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of goes back to that question of like, what do the sports psychologists really do? I think that's a big part of our role is to, you know, be that, that and helping them develop like, hey, I, I hear that you are having a hard time adjusting to college, that you're having a hard time dealing with you know, setbacks on your team. And it's really important that you acknowledge and validate that. And at the same time, like, let's talk about ways of dealing with that 
that are going to get you closer to the kind of, you know, athlete you want to be, that's going to get you closer to the kind of life you want to live. Um, if we're just making kids uncomfortable without giving them resources to deal with it, it's, it's not a winning combination. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because, uh, you know, talking about John Calipari, I mean, even, even <laughs> here, uh, a freshman will check in. And before that kid even takes a quiz or has any homework, I need him to help me win soccer games. And that's a big ask for someone that's been on campus for 13 days. You know, it's just such, it's bizarre to really think about it. I, compared to the spring sports, they get an entire semester to get a kid acclimated to being a college student before they even play a game that matters. But for us, it's, it's hey, I need you day one to help me win. And if a kid falls into that category where maybe they don't have those coping skills right away, maybe they, they aren't prepared or they haven't dealt with this much adversity or being this far down on the totem pole, and by the time they come to your office or they start to like, hey, I need some help here. We're already 10 games into the season. I've had to move on because I need to win to keep my job and we got to make the tournament and all these things. And now this kid just burned through the first two months of his college career. He didn't play a lick. He, it's now worse. It's now worse off for that kid. So basically, I think my question is, before they even get to college, what are some things these kids can do? on their own because you know like you said maybe they're not getting it at home maybe they're living in a great lifestyle where there's not a lot of adversity thrown at them or maybe they're just the guy on their high school and club team where i'm building my attack around him he's not going to get thrown with that much what can what can kids do on their own to help that i mean is there any skills mike before you answer that include yeah. uh parents in your answer please like Perfect. i think that that's a that they play a huge role in that obviously mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, a big part of it on the mental side is just understanding that, like, we don't have a lot of control the emotions that are going to come up in those situations. Right. I think that is a big part of how adversity and those, like, maybe not so great coping skills that might get developed. That's how those problems can really compound. So making sure that parents, you know, are telling their students that coaches are telling their students like, Hey, if you are having some big feelings and I know it's like kind of uh, infantilizing to, to use a term like that, but I'm a big believer in it. If you're having some big feelings. Like it is not your job to make those go away. Uh, that, that is way too hard of an ask for most adults, much less a kid that is, you know, 17, 18, 19. So making sure that they know, like, you don't have to get rid of all the emotions, get rid of the pressure, get rid of the imposter feelings that you might experience. Uh, your job is to stay focused on what you're supposed to do. And can you bring those feelings along with you? Right. If you're feeling uh, a lot of stress as you're adjusting to college, okay, you can be stressed. How can you set that to the side? How can you put that in your boot bag while you go out on the field for an hour and a half and, you know, do your work for the day? And, you know, you are welcome to feel stressed right after that, right? But can you focus on the task at hand? I think that is kind of a broad overview of what mental skills really are, in my opinion, that, you know, you can, you can get working on right away as a student athlete, um, just kind of understanding that 
you're not a failure if you're having a hard time controlling the frustration that you feel as you adjust to a new situation, the sadness that you might feel like being away from home, right? You're not, you're not less of a person if you struggle to adjust. And parents, I think, have a huge role in that in preparing their kids for the transition to college, you know, making sure that they know that, that that's a really normal experience. A lot of people have issues making that adjustment. It's a, it's a big thing. And so I, I think a big part of that initial adjustment to college is just like the expectation that it's going to go really, really well. And so as much as kids can be prepared up front, like or it might not like, please, you know, going back to that question, like, Hey, what are you going to do if I don't play you at all? Mm-hmm. Kids have to think about that. Yeah. It, it's, it, it would be irresponsible of us to not present that as a possibility to a, a potential college athlete. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully that like starts to answer the question. Honestly, Scott, there's so many different answers to that question. That's, that's just the first one that comes to mind for me, but that's definitely something uh, worth continuing to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I guess from an experience and an observational standpoint, you know, I've just seen so many different ways that kids have been parented and um, you know, that's really vital in how they handle the experience once they're away from home. Right. I mean, I'm sure there, I don't even know if there's do's and don'ts really. Right. It's just kind of, you know, what suits the situation for, um, I don't even know if I'm getting to a question here, just more of like a a sense of like, you can either set your kid up for success or failure based on, you know, just the, the, the general feel of how you parent, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, well, I think, I think that's like it, that, that sort of adds, Scott, I think, to the important role that parents have, especially as kids leave the house. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, let, let the coach challenge your kid, let right. teachers challenge your kid. Um, as a parent, I don't think it, it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything, and it can only benefit the kid if you are that that safe and supportive person in their life. Right. Um, and and that that gets back again to that question of like resources. If kids don't have resources, they're not going to be able to deal with challenge and discomfort. And right. parents are such an important part of those resources. Yeah. So you know when you start to run into parents that like are pushing kids like they're a coach, right? And we've all seen those parents on the sidelines. Um, you know, I would encourage them to be willing to take that step back, you know, let the coaches do their job. Just be a supportive parent, you know, be there to, to validate your kid, normalize their experience. Yeah. Enjoy watching your kid do his or her thing. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think just not parenting out of fear of your, your child failing is, is, pretty important um, yeah you you will pass that right on kids kids are smart they're sponges they're going to soak that up yep yeah. um she's right. anything yeah There's so I, much to get into so um yeah i've written down like 50 things i i am curious about a few um you know like i think the the biggest thing that we've kind of talked about uh mike is the the fact that every story is different i mean i can have one kid come in 
to talk to me and about an issue. And then another kid comes in and talks to me about the exact same issue. But those two kids are so different. I have to treat each kid completely different. And, um, you know, I've, I've got, of course, my own stories. I've, I've had to take a kid into our counseling services place. And I remember this is kind of where I'm wondering, going back to the original thought here is, I remember sitting there waiting for uh, this young man to, to go and meet with the counselor. And I just remember thinking to myself, that counselor does not know who he is, doesn't know anything about him. And I know this kid where he's not going to give this guy anything. He's going to just keep it all in. And I, I just like, man, it, there's got to be a way that I, as someone who already knows him, who loves him, who is so invested in him, who just wants him to be happy and graduate and do well. And regardless if he scores a goal or makes a save or not, I don't care. Just want the kid to, to live an awesome, fulfilling life and have a great experience while doing it here at Christopher Newport. And I'm just sitting there like, he doesn't even know this guy's name. And I guarantee you he doesn't even care. And I bet you that happens so much. And it just, it's going to take so long for that counselor to break through all those walls to get this kid to trust him. And by then he could be going into his, he could be graduating. You know, what if this happens during his senior year, we're just going to, all right, let him go. You know, that's such a tough thing. I mean, I've got to be able to have something where like, what, what can we do? There's got to be a relationship between let's say you and me, where I use you as the stopgap so I can talk to the kid. I mean, is that something that's kind of happening throughout the, the landscape? I mean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So I think, I think this can be, I think this can be a little bit of a common misconception about, about therapy. So, you know, we've talked about like all of the factors that, that are going on in a collegiate athletic setting. Like, like I said, kids are smart, they're sponges. They will soak up implicit messages and mm -hmm. they are surrounded by implicit messages that like you are, worth what you can do for us on the field. Or even, you know, they might even feel some academic pressure. You're only worth the grade that you can earn. Mm. Um, right. And there's, there are a lot of different areas on campus that are putting that kind of pressure. Like, Hey, your self-worth equals goals or your self-worth equals grades or your self-worth equals the number of followers you have on social media. And I think that's what's so refreshing about the therapy space for a student is that like it can actually be to the advantage of the student and the therapist that I don't know them. I'm, I'm one place on campus where a kid can walk in and be like, I know that you don't care at the end of your day when you go home, you don't care if I don't play well. You don't care if I am failing. Like, of course I care. I care about my students. But, like, I'm not going to lose sleep if, you know, you fail a test. i got tons of clients, right? And I think that actually can free the kid up to open up a little bit quicker to those people because they only have to see me one hour a week. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not deciding on their playing time. I'm not grading any of their tests. I'm just here to listen and, and, and support you. And that level of, like, separation between a therapist and a student, I think is what, I mean, it's really what makes therapy effective is that like, I'm not a parent that is going to be distraught if you're not doing well. I'm just your therapist. I, I'm not expecting you to do well. 
don't have a job if everybody does well all the time. So sure. I, I think I think that can be a little bit of a misconception that um, that it's hard for some kids to open up. It certainly is, but I think it can happen pretty quickly because they understand that this is one place on campus where like my performance, whether it's academic or athletic or social, it just doesn't matter here. Hopefully um, that like helps out on that question, but geez, like to get to your, to get to the point of your question, like what can I do as a coach? Um, you know, you can, you can set the kind of boundaries uh, that you expect a kid to set, right? If they're supposed to leave school behind them when they pass over that sideline and get on the school, uh, get on the, the playing field, you can do that as a coach. Hey, this isn't practice. This isn't a game right now. I'm just here to listen and support you. You know, some of the things that you said about like loving the kid, wanting them to do well, wanting them to graduate. Some kids, I think, really need to hear that explicitly mm -hmm. from the people that are, you know, that, that all the other things about the environment are telling them that their performance really matters. If you can have those moments to say like, hey, leave the field on the field now. We're in my office. This is yeah. not, you don't have to score goals in here. I'm just here to support you. Right. No, that's, I, I, I think compartmentalizing in that way can be really helpful. Sure. No, I, I think that's, a, that's an awesome point you brought up about how, um, you know, it's it's hard to say you don't care, but it's it's about the the on the field, the in the classroom. None of that stuff matters. All, all your all your thought you know want to talk about is the exact moment that they're in right now. Let's 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 break that down. I don't. That's an interesting way that you put it, but that I've never really thought of it that way. That I, that's how I'm going to express it to my guys. It's like this is a place where you can literally say anything at any time, and it's going to be just about that topic and. It's it's good to have someone you it's such a good point. It's good to have someone you can go to that actually didn't know you three minutes ago. That's a good thing, you know. Just you can express yourself and they're they're professional, they're gonna help you and they're gonna care about that moment in the in the short term and and uh and you can bring it back with you to the locker room and 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 make the necessary adjustments that you feel like you need to make. And I, you know, I never thought of it that way. I was all I just remember sitting in the room going like, this guy doesn't actually care, you know. I, I well. He does. It's just it's a different care. Obviously, he can't care as much as I do. I he just learned the kid's name three minutes ago. I, you know, it's obvious that, but just never thought of it that way. It's a really, really good point. Really good point. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think it's worth saying going back to that like um, kind of separation between like performance enhancement and mental health. You know, uh, performance enhancement ends up being a big reason why a lot of kids get sent to a sports psychologist, right? Not playing well in the field. Let's see if we can get them in for some mental skills training, et cetera. You know, I, I don't have data on this, but anecdotally, you know, when I talk to colleagues or in my own experience, uh, yeah, first three meetings, oh, I'm not playing well. Oh, we lost the match, blah, blah, blah. For that, it, like, mental health is going to come one way or another. Like, yeah. the kids, they, they want to talk about it. They all have stuff going on. And performance enhancement is a way to get in, but like they, I think that speaks to like their understanding of what the space is. You know, if you're a coach and you're like, you're not playing well, go see this person. They're going to be like, okay, I guess I talk about sports in here. And in two weeks, that's going to melt away and they're going to bring in what they really need to be talking about. Um, that's just what that space creates that, that, you know, coaches are coaches and, and parents, frankly, are often too close to the students 
to be able to hear that. And so it takes therapists being able to take that step yeah. back and be the appropriate distance away that they feel like they really can talk about whatever they need to. Yeah, I, I've actually just this past year had a kid. Um, it was a year ago. Sorry, he was a freshman and I was talking to him and I was kind of like, man, is everything good? You know, like he just seemed angry. And uh, and he he said, he goes, look, you're you're my soccer coach. Like I'm I, I will only come in here to discuss soccer. I'll only talk to my teachers to discuss. I will talk to family you know, whatever. I was like, oh, like, OK, you know, like I, I can wear that hat. I can just be a coach to you. I don't have to be an uncle or a big brother or father figure. I, that's fine. It's just interesting to hear that kid and to the to the point about earlier where we're talking about how every single one of these kids is different, regardless if they're in the exact same situation as the kid next to them. You have to approach each kid so you know so much differently. And that it took me, you know, a few months to to, to pry that out of him. And I'm like, oh, that's that's why you don't talk to me about these things. That's okay. Perfectly fine. But I had to ask the question and get it out of him. And um, yeah, it's it's super interesting topic and uh, how many layers does this have? I mean, let's talk about this for seven years and it won't be enough. I mean, it's like when, what do they say about Northern Virginia? You go to the Smithsonian every day, you you still can't see everything, you know, it's just a, such an interesting topic and a super important one. And I, you know, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, um, let's agree to, to do this again real soon, because I think there's a lot more to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Happy to be here. Happy to come back. Um, it's great, great chatting with you guys. Um, yeah, thanks, and uh, thanks to Mike and Cheese. Um, I'm gonna hit stop. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Trail. Thank you to Mike for the time and insights. Please share the podcast, subscribe, and send me your questions and feedback through MatchPlayRecruit.com. See you on the trail.